Welcome to the ValeoCon Commercial Excellence Podcast. Our guest today is Jerry Julian. The topic of conversation is multi-channel marketing from a global perspective. Welcome, Jerry. Thank you, Thomas. Appreciate it. Jerry, maybe just introduce yourself for our listeners. Sure. Well, I've been in your shoes and consulting for some time, about 15, 20 years, but also on the big pharma side where I am right now, implementing MCE. So I feel like there's a good perspective that I can bring to the table, but also lots of questions that still need to be answered. So let's take it. Excellent. So one of the questions that I think many people struggle with when it comes with deploying multi-channel marketing globally is, is like the what's the same around the world, what are the differences? From your vantage point, where do you see similarities and differences in the various countries when it comes to multi-channel marketing and using it? So I've seen this in three big pharma companies now that we've all heard of. And one of the common things is that at first you'll find, in part because the U.S. here and and New Jersey in particular tends to be large decision-making kind of hotbed, so to speak, for big pharma. Or New York City, if you're certain companies, or northern Pennsylvania. (laughs) But sometimes you'll get uh, a very U.S.-centric view at first. So one of the risks is that you think that the rest of the world looks like the U.S. in terms of whether it's systems, whether it's privacy, whether it is you know how you operate you know in the field and how you interact digitally with the field. So there's just that one thing that typically comes up. And what we find is a lot more heterogeneity. In fact, across the markets, what you see is typically the split, and it's valid, I think, between mature markets and emerging markets. And while the labels aren't perfectly correct, just the buckets of needs or, or problems to solve are similar. So you get Europe as a very, in many cases, mature market, depending on the therapy, and with established volumes and sales and established sales force, et cetera. But then you have emerging markets where you have kind of a growth factor, you've got more generics. One of the key differences in those is that in the emerging markets, we're finding a lot of need for doing more remote detailing. And typically, it often starts in a call center, making phone calls. And that's the case with some very large markets where they're trying to reach more customers, physicians that the sales force can't reach because there may be places that are pretty remote, <laughs> like somewhere in the Amazon or somewhere in the countryside in Chiapas, or it's because they're dangerous places. So those are two things. But also the third is that if you look at a sales call in the field, you're, you're doing maybe three, four calls a day in your visits, where if you're in a call center, you can make probably twice to three times that. And the efficiency is just really right there. So there's a really big push to start with that. And so I'd say that in the more mature markets, the U.S. digitally is one of the more mature. So we think here, just to sum up, that we can apply this thinking to Europe or some of the emerging markets. And digitally, it's very different in these markets. But not only that, the needs are very different. And the ability to make your solution on a global level scalable really depends on your ability to target the right places with the right solutions. So it's basically, if you look at the properties of like a global approach, you got to be able to support all these different market needs. Yeah. And so it's not a one size fits all. It's definitely not. And you know, typically, if you want scale and you want an agile, more industrialized approach, you'd love to have a one size fits all because it's very efficient. You just got to stamp it out, it's mass production. On the other extreme is that every market gets its own solution. And that's not viable. It's not possible. So there is a need for some standard platforms and some guidelines, policies around what they're going to enable. So we can talk more about that. 
So it's basically, otherwise, you're going to make the same investment basically 10, 12 times, but you never get the scale, right? Absolutely. So currently, as you go around, so you already have some markets where people do some sort of multi-channel marketing or you have invested. So it's not so much that you like end up as like, there's something in the U.S. and there's nothing else around it. But everybody has a little bit of something. Absolutely. And in fact, some of the emerging markets have had to be more digital and or based on more pure play, we might say there's no sales force to cover this stuff. So they have some capabilities in place. So working with those is sometimes difficult because in some cases you have to negotiate a replacement. And when you're very federated, it depends on the, the organization and the culture. But if you're in a market that have succeeded and been very strong, there's a tendency to believe, yeah, we've got it. We've got this. Right. The bar is already set high. So whatever you have to offer, got to be. And that's a tough one. Yeah. Oh, interesting. So, so what are kind of some of the obstacles that you run into besides obviously people already having investments in place that they made, you know, where they basically expect an upgrade? What are some of the other challenges? Well, honestly... There are so many challenges, but let's start from the outside in. So regulations in terms of being able to get clarity on the emerging regulations at a regional level and country level. So for example, GDPR in Europe is going to require millions and millions, probably billions of euro investment for people to transform, to be able to cover these regulations so that there's new privacy, new opt-in, opt-out procedures, be able to delete all your data if you want to via phone call. And that has to go across all channels where you have multiple business units in a particular market with their own CRM systems and their own approaches. How do you cascade that across where there's typically not been a structure to do that? Seeing a lot of investment and activity to apply with that. China is also establishing that some new cyber rules and in terms of where data can be hosted. And, and Russia is very much, since I've been doing this, has been very similar in the sense that you can't export data about customers everywhere. Germany is very particular, like there have to be, if there's any viewing, even by vendors of any sort of variety, and this is true of all GDPR countries, there has to be very, very clear contractual agreements in place. So when you've got a large structure with different legal entities, there's a lot of work there. So that's really only the external landscape, so the regulatory complexity, the need to, you know, to deal with the, the structure. What about sort of organizational barriers? Organizational barriers, you know, there's one trite common saying that I think is very useful, which is that any system that's built is a direct reflection of the organization that built it. So the design of your system, if you have silos in your organization, your the platform and the capabilities you design will be also siloed. So you're getting in your own way in terms of creating scale and efficiency. If there's not, there could be good intentions to get a common platform, but that's not quite enough because there needs to also be a bigger picture in terms of, okay, which kind of platform? What Are we talking about just campaign management? Are we talking about analytics in terms of the machine that can run the analytics as well as talk to you about them? And then there's the everything in between. So what are we trying to create a common platform for? And then being very clear that in order to get scaled, any one platform needs integration with the other. So if you have a data analytics organization over here in the technology organization, and then on the other, you have, let's say, a different group that's responsible for CRM. So one of the benefits of doing this is achieving scale through it in platforms, but getting to that unified architectural approach across the different silos and commitment to that there is a key opportunity, but also a key obstacle. So that's just another big area. So it's like the functional separation. Again, the more fragmented you are, the more difficult it is. Then there was like a unifying whole that ties together, right? I guess that also ties then to a little bit like how decisions are being made. 
to get to some sort of organizational consensus about what this unifying capability should look like. Yeah, the decision structure is not something that's easily designed, but it's, I think, important to be intentional about the design and to evolve it but to be clear about it, because when you're trying to create something global, you're going to have a lot of players at the local level. Within even the local level, you might have different brands, different business units, most likely do. And then at the regional level, you might have a business unit with a more regional structure, and you might have regional players that actually are taking orders from countries. You might have the opposite. Then at the global level, there's a lot of stakeholders. And these days in big pharma, And in most larger companies, there's continuing strive for uh, improvement in organizational effectiveness and so forth. So you might find that along the course of these long tail efforts that we're involved in, you're going to have multiple restructuring, you're going to have people moving in and out of roles, and you're going to need to have a way to handle that in advance. So at any one time, here's our master operating model, and we have to also know that we can't protect this from everything. We're going to have to solicit some input, and we're going to have to make sure that we're getting other viewpoints on this, but at the same time, it's balancing the need for democracy with the need for centralized management is part of the challenge. But you have to have some centralized intentions at the beginning, but not a completely barriered-off approach, because there will be changes that accommodate So what I also hear is organizational culture also has a huge impact on how your deployment would go, right? In terms of how much power is at the center, how much power is at the business or in the country, Completely. how decisions get made. Yeah, that's where the change management yeah. plan is so important because you're going to come from different places with what needs to be changed. So ultimately, the end product is probably very much the same across different companies you work with and over your career, but the path to getting there and the way the decisions get made is going to be very different. Yeah, absolutely. One of the great things about being in this field right now is that we are in one of the best eras that I've experienced in terms of being able to have global scale because we can have something on Azure or Amazon Web Services that can actually replicate across regions or markets fairly quickly and easily. So you have this really interesting set of capabilities that you can bring globally and you have platforms that are operating from a handful of instances versus one in every country and their response time and their user friendliness is still fine even though you could be in China and you're accessing a platform, an application in fact, that's really being the server side is being driven out of Ireland. And so This can happen, and it's a real opportunity to create the scale, and at the same time, the change is important. In fact, at this point, not only on the data side, but on the application side, the opportunities are really great to try and make that happen. So what do you, in your view, what are the key success factors in, in to really build a successful multi-channel platform? Well, I think we've talked about team structure and operating model. A little bit, and that's one of the key success factors. Having some a priori idea of what that should look like and evolving it. I think secondly, especially in the pharma business, we rely on multiple vendors for many things, and that can be globally and locally. We've moved more towards centralized global procurement in some cases. In other cases, it just hasn't yet been done and at a global level to be able to have a centralized contract with the big vendor. There are dangers to that because you become over-reliant, and we've experienced that, for example, with a big vendor where 
certain section of a certain channel was really given and it was a little too expensive for smaller markets and it was designed in the U.S. as something so that could scale. So just overcoming that, but a critical success is the right vendor accountability because on one extreme, you can get that complete reliance, but on the other extreme, if you have too many vendors involved, you have way too many contracts, way too many fingers that can be pointed in different directions. Your own team functional areas notwithstanding. So I think if you look at a business process about from a business process perspective about not only how you run this thing once it's implemented, but also how you implement this thing being a business process and as much as possible to create end-to-end vendor accountability in that process with obviously internal oversight. But having a, a clear process for how you deploy, how you engage a market. And if you have vendors coming from different areas doing different things, you risk and you probably will be not synchronized and you'll be leaving gaps in your planning and it won't be as predictable. I think one of the other critical success factors is segmenting countries. And we've talked about this a little bit in terms of their needs. Markets that really need that remote outreach and to increase reach, they might need certain solutions. In smaller markets, they might need some less expensive ways to reach customers and to start with, I think, thirdly, a minimally viable product for each market. Based on what you can offer, you run the risk of saying, okay, we can go to every market and say, you can get everything that you already have, you're mature, and it's all integrated, and we're going to try to do that. And that won't work. That's never going to work, the global program. So there has to be some sense of, okay, setting expectations off the beginning. We're going to start with something that's minimally viable. It's not going to be the solution that you've developed over time that's fully integrated. So The integrations are the real key to manage here because they have the longest tail and the longest cost. I think the fourth thing might be really good transparency on where you are at any one time because these things can get very large, lots of people involved, and to have communication mechanisms where people can understand where things are, what's developed, what's not, how they can contribute. If you're a global team, to be communicating with 15, 20 markets at one time across different functional areas is a huge challenge. So you need to have those forums where you can have a regular cadence where people can get online for a webinar and they could see what's happening with the email channel and where it's going. They need to be able to have an update on what's happening over the next two weeks in some cases with the data transformation that's happening on a global level because some of the data design issues could be very important cascade across markets. So if you're in the project ecosystem for this kind of thing, these are important things for you to know. So it's important. This is where establishing a cadence and communication and change plan also involves, yeah, how do we update? How do we make this transparent? How do we help people become informed so they can make choices? How can we enable that to happen? So that's another key thing. And I'd say lastly, just expectations around move towards agility and not the sense that we're just going to go agile. So how do you move towards agility? And I think your firm, Thomas, is probably one of the better ones in the world that can talk about this because the depth and what you know about lean is really the underpinning of how to get more agile. You could hire firms that can just say, okay, here's agile. Let's go do this. We're going to train everybody in agile. And that for a large ecosystem, lots of players is not going to stick. So it might stick in pockets. And that's what we've seen. There are pockets that are going to work. I can tell you the three things that really make it work. But in general, moving towards agility, in other words, looking at our cycle time and saying, what can we do to constantly squeeze the waste out? Part of that is a number of the critical success factors I meant. Having the accountability where you can, being able to provide the transparency, having the forum. So yeah, 
I think moving towards agility versus going agile is a really important expectation to set as well. Out of curiosity, how long do you think it actually takes to build capability like this in a typical big pharma company? This is like a five-year journey, three-year journey. It's a great question. There's vision. I know that I've seen 2020 vision that's three to five years out, which I think is important. And to be able to have that runway and especially a committed level of investment over that period of time is really important because if you start this with the intention of achieving scale and making a more efficient process across markets and you stop it, then you've just thrown out a lot of money. Right. And goodwill, right? Terrific point, yeah, because you try to do it and the cynicism is just increased that much more. That's a great question because it's really important to have a, the long-term vision and the commitment of investment for that. If you do it piecemeal, it's really hard. So if you do it globally, it's going to be a multi-year and, yeah. and probably long-term journey, right? Absolutely. And one of the obstacles on the data side is just in general, in each market, you typically have a local CRM system and perhaps even one for each GBU. So you might have a business unit that is a global one, but you might have four others in any given market business units with different brands in them. And so in some cases, they'll each have their own CRM system, but in many cases, they share customers. So that's a key opportunity, right? And a key challenge from a just operational perspective, a governance around who's going to call on this customer and how often, how do we prioritize that? Secondly, is just integrating with all these local CRM systems. If you're in 50 markets across the world, and if they each have a different version of a CRM system, or even if it's the same vendor or different vendors, which is the case, then you're going to spend an awful lot of time integrating. So this is a key obstacle. How do you get that data and where do you decide you're going to do this? Are you going to decide up front that you're going to integrate with all those systems that each market are you going to? Or are you going to create some standard interfaces to certain platforms and maybe make the right investments in some things that can be common and shared across markets versus trying to make the one-off solution? So that also kind of suggests that companies who are like highly centralized in their decision-making and systems probably have an easier time and going to like a multi-channel marketing model versus if you're more like a federation where everybody has made their own investments and built out their own. Absolutely right. Good. Well, Jerry, thank you so much for taking the time today to talk to us. Thank you so much, Thomas. I really appreciate being here.